Hello and welcome to the Potters Podcast. As promised, we've got a special guest. He played in goal for Stockport, Man City, Middlesbrough, Stoke. He helped Stoke to the Premier League on a loan deal till the end of the season and then went to Everton after, but then eventually Pulis brought him back. It is the one and only Carlo Nash. Hello, Carlo. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, just obviously trying to keep busy in, in lockdown and hopefully we'll get some confirmation of, uh, of when we can return to training soon. It's a bit dicey at the moment, isn't it? No one seems to know what's going on, especially with football. I mean, you're a part of Salford City, aren't you? Yeah, I'm um, uh, obviously moved from playing to coaching now and sort of a natural uh, progression. Um, I've ended up at... Um, head of goalkeeping at Salford at the moment so I've been there the last two years and it's, uh, it's I'm part of a fantastic project there and uh, we've got some great uh, staff and players there and you know hopefully we can get some success in Salford What's what's it like working for the class of 92? <laughs> it's funny in a way because obviously I played with Phil Neville he was captain of Everton when I was during my time there uh, so it's, it, it's kind of a little bit weird that he's kind of my boss now. So, but it's obviously the people that are involved in the club behind the scene wanting to succeed and, and with people like that who know what they're doing at a club like Salford, it can only bring success because everything's in place. It's been a fantastic story. I've watched it myself, the BBC programmes about it. And I've always wondered what Gary Neville's like in real life. Yeah, to, to be honest, we don't have much dealings with him. I know, obviously, he speaks with the manager on a regular basis, but we only see Gary sometimes when there's a meeting, maybe at the training ground or after games. He, he goes to all the games when he can, but he's, he's obviously got commitments with Sky as well that he needs to carry out. So, but as, as I said, he's, he's at most of our home games, and, uh, and if he can get to away games, he will do. Rena, what, how do you feel about what's going on in the league at the moment? Because... I think League Two's been void and cancelled, Auntie, or is it still in the air? Yeah, I, I mean, I think at the moment, obviously, all the all the teams in League Two have voted to uh, end the season now on the points per game total. Now, I don't know if that's I don't think that's been confirmed yet with the EFL, but I think that's obviously where we're going. The only kind of sort of stumbling block for for ourselves is that we we made it to the League Cup final against Portsmouth, so we need to ascertain whether that's going to be played or not before we can before we can really sort of say this season's over and look forward to next season and then again we're waiting for a date for the start of next season before we can plan for pre-season so there's a lot of ifs and buts at the moment but hopefully they can resolve in the next couple of weeks and, and we can obviously look forward to a return to training It is a bit open yeah the mentions, I mean League One as well if a half and half, the bottom half don't want to play and top half do. I mean, it's a scary time yeah. at the moment as well, isn't it? Because it's, like we, we talked on another pod about it, that at the end of the day, it's, it's life or death really in certain circumstances. Uh, would you be happy to go back training or is it, you're that bored, you're desperate go back? <laughs> a bit of both really, but I think safety comes first. I think if the, um, the return to training protocols from what I've seen, if they're carried out correctly, then it should be safe to return but obviously again they're all lists and buts at the moment and I think for us in League 2 I think that'll be it for the season if I'm honest once it's confirmed and we'll just have to look forward as and when for the next season it's just getting a date in place for when we can start and you know I think the next two weeks like I say will obviously speak volumes and we can see 
marketing and how the, 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 the virus is, has affected those teams, if, if at all. So once, we, uh, once we've got that information, we can, we'll, we'll be able to look at it more effectively and, uh, and like I say, hopefully plan for next season. Right, so I was going to go into your career now. So you're a bit of a Jamie Vardy story, weren't you? You started in non-league football and then yeah. managed to get the move to Crystal Palace. How did how did that come along? Becoming a, you know, going from non-league to, I think, then a championship side. I always say so it was a little bit like Roy of the Rovers way into football for myself because I loved football as a kid and I played a lot of football and ended up being at Manchester United School of Excellence when I was 11 to 14. And then after a car accident, I kind of uh, lost a lot of confidence and, and lost interest in football and subsequently stopped playing, got released from United uh, and gave up football completely for five years. Play, I, I played tennis uh, when, when I was at school and finished my GCSE, GCSEs and the A-levels. And then when I started work when I was 19, I, I got back into football just playing for a pub team, got the book back and then... Two years later, I ended up signing for Clitheroe in the um, in Northwest Counties, and we had a really good season. I think we finished third in the league, and then we had a good cup run in the FA Vars. Ended up getting to the final at Wembley, and about a week after the, uh, the Wembley final, uh, I was just working at my desk one day, and the chairman rang up and said, "Crystal Palace just offered thirty-five grand for you. Do you want to go and speak to him?" So. Um, I just said at the time, I obviously was happy in the job and I was happy playing non-league football. If uh, if I didn't obviously take up that opportunity, I would never know. So uh, I went, I ended up going to London, speaking to Harry Bassett, who was the manager of Palace at the time. Moving to London, first time away from home and, the, uh, and his first professional club. Imagine if you yeah. just said to your manager, if you re- clever, I said, hey, do you want to go Palace? No, do we? <laughs> yeah. story it's, it's happened to many a player Ian Wright was one there's well there's a few yeah. in the Jamie Vardy that have you know lost the way and then got themselves back yeah. I mean it's a fantastic story but I think you grew up in Bolton didn't you and then you know moving to London it's not an easy thing is it especially for a young lad it's shocking I mean how did you find the transition from up north to London yeah I, I think I think that transition was okay obviously London, uh, sorry, Bolton. I, I, I'd actually moved to uh, Rosendale at the time. That's hence me playing for Quiverall. But growing up in Bolton, it was a big town anyway. Nothing, of course, like London. So, so I think that adjustment wasn't too bad. I think the, the main adjustment that I had to make really was the adjustment of moving up seven leagues with the standard, but also going from a part-time role to a full-time role, fitness-wise. And going back then, the first two weeks, we just did six-mile runs every day, so there was no goalkeeping involved. So getting used to that fitness, I think I remember, you know, training pre-season and thinking, wow, this is, like, unbelievable. Coming home to me, to me, one-bed flat that, that was organised by the club, and 
I think I fell asleep about four o'clock every day for the first two weeks and didn't wake up till sort of eight o'clock the next morning when I was due back at training. Huh. Yeah, so it, I mean, I, I was just, I just remember being absolutely exhausted just because I wasn't accustomed to doing that. And I, I think from there, once we got that base fitness, I just got better and better and moved on. And, and we didn't really have, at the time, we didn't really have a goalkeeping coach. It was it was our kit man that did the goalkeeping coaching. A lot of our training was, was together as a team. So we didn't, as you do now, you go off with the goalkeepers. We didn't, didn't really have that too much. So there was not a massive amount in the way of one-to-one coaching or development that way. Uh, and that's at a championship club as well. So, yeah, it was it, it was difficult to, to, to make that leap. As time progressed, I, I've always been quick at adapting to things. And, and once I got into my swing, I felt like I was getting more and more used to, to the pace and, uh, and the, the standard of championship football. You spent two years at Crystal Palace, didn't you? And I think yeah. Crystal Palace got promoted as well. I mean, that must have been incredible, really, for someone that, well, three years ago was a non-league goalkeeper to then get promoted to the Premier League with Crystal Palace. I mean, it is like a Roy the Rovers story, you're right, really. I mean, how, did, how was yeah. that for you, with getting promoted so early on in your professional well, career? Well, it, it, I mean, it was, again, it was like, you know, head in the clouds stuff, really, because in my first season as a professional footballer I managed to displace the first choice goalkeeper get in the team and enter into the playoffs that season with Crystal Palace and get to the final at Wembley again so 12 months prior to that I was playing in front of 7,000 in the FA Bards final with Clitheroe and then now I'm playing at Wembley in front of a sellout 90,000 crowd uh, to get in the premiership so it was Again, it was like, like I said, it was just head in the clouds stuff. Uh, and, and to win that game, 1-0 at the time at Sheffield United, I'll never forget that day. It's, it's one of the, the highlights of my career, of one one moment that I look back on and, and think, wow, how, how did he end up doing that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's an incredible story, it really is. Did you play many times in the Premier League? Because I know not long after you, you got the move from where I remember you as a long, as a young lad. Where I first became aware yeah. of you was when you went to Stockport County. You were first choice. How did it, did the story end up that you become a Stockport County number one? Yeah, well, basically, when we got promoted, you know, at the time you, you didn't even have a goalkeeper on the bench. You had three subs, and that was it. So they brought in Kevin Miller because I played about twenty-eight games previously. They were the first twenty-eight games he ever played as a professional. So, so the manager at the time wanted to bring a bit more experience in to go into the Premiership with, so they bought Kevin Miller at the time, I think he was at Watford, so they brought him in and he was the number one really, so I was a little bit perturbed by that because I wanted to have a chance and a crack at the Premiership and I thought I'd done well, even though I was uh, inexperienced at the time, I thought I'd done well and deserved a chance at it, but I understand now, being older, why they did what they did, but it didn't, didn't make, you know, it didn't make me feel any better after a year of just kind of playing the reserves and that I thought I'm I'm still inexperienced and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get any more experience unless I have to play first team football. So an agent approached me um, about going to Stockport and Gary Megson wanted me to go there and play for them. And at the time, Stockport were a champ, uh, championship side, so I kind of jumped at the chance one to to play regular football and two to move back where my family and friends were 
So yeah, so that's what it came about really, and uh, and then ended up signing a three-year contract at Stockport, where I played pretty much every game. Yeah, you had a great time at Stockport County. I mean, I remember being a young Stoke fan when Stoke and Stockport were in the around the same league at the time, and that's when I first yeah. became aware of you know. I always thought you were a good goalkeeper back then. Said that he's a good goalkeeper. He is, but one thing I wanted to clear up because he used to have a managing game at the time, and, and I just wanted to find out if you have actually got any Australian relatives. Because on that football managing game, you actually played for Australia. So I just want to see if it was it. Yeah. <laughs> I just want. Yeah, to... <laughs> someone someone told me about that, but no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm sure there's probably ancestry in Australia that's that relatives, but no, I haven't got any Australian in me at all. So yeah, I, I don't know where that came from, if I'm honest. So it was, it was a little bit weird when someone told me about that. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so quick to game. You Australian? No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually, when I heard about that, I went into the manager and asked for a rise Yeah, it's such a shame what's happened to him now, isn't it, really? Because, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a bit of yeah. a legacy player for that club and to see it drop down like it has done must be heartbreaking, really. Yeah, as I say, it's a fantastic club and it's, uh, I, live, I live locally as well, you know, to Stockport, so um, it's kind of like my, my, my local club, if you like, and it's, it, it was heartbreaking, like you say, uh, what's happened to them. But it, 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 it's... Um, it's becoming more and more prevalent now in, in, in football and, uh, and these historical clubs that have, for whatever reason, are, are struggling and, and go out of business and, uh, and drop down the leagues. And it's happened a, a lot of times to a lot of big historical clubs. And, you know, there should be more done about it, really, uh, and more of that finance coming down from the top level to... Yeah, it's, it, it does need to be something put in place. I mean... It's happened to Bury recently as well, and it seems to be since the rise of Man City, those clubs have sort of disappeared in a way. Right, so you played, you were at Stockport, obviously, and then you made the move to Man City. Now, Man City went through an incredible rise, didn't they, from League One to the Premier League in two straight seasons. I mean, yeah. you were signed, I think, the first season. Why did that come about? Was it because of relegation for Stockport, or did the club just want to uh, sell no. you? No, no, the... Uh, um, the I mean, I was coming towards the end of my contract and, and in contractual talks, I suppose, with uh, with Stockport. And how it came about really was, like I said, I played pretty much every game for Stockport during my time there. Uh, and I came in, I'll never forget the game, it was QPR at home. And I came in Twaisley Park, obviously expecting to play. And before the game, I got called into the manager's office. And Andy Kilner was manager at the time, and David Moss is assistant. And... Andy said to me, uh, you're not playing today. And I was like, why? And he said, well, the chairman's told me, unless you sign a new contract, we're not playing you. So I was like, right, okay, that's fine. Two weeks off, and when, when I come back, I want you to find me a loan club. I had two weeks off, came back, went alone to Wolves for a month, and it was over Christmas. So I was away over Christmas, playing for Wolves, and training with them. And then on, I think it was, 
it might have been New Year's Eve, it was a game, or New Year's Day, around about that time. Um, Stockport had signed, while I was away, they'd signed another goalkeeper, uh, Andy Dibble, to play, cover me. Stockport played Wolves at Molyneux, and Andy Dibble got injured in the game, and I ended up, obviously, being with Wolves in the team, and then travelling back on the Stockport bus, because Andy Dibble got injured. Oh, hell, so, how did that make you feel? Yeah, a bit, a bit weird, but obviously, you know, I knew all the lads, and, and, and there was no, there was nothing, you know, we all got on really well together, uh, so it was, a bit, it was a bit of a laugh, and then I ended up playing uh, against Preston at Deepdale in the FA Cup early January, uh, and after that game, I signed for City, so it was, uh, it was January 2001, and City were already in a precarious position in the Premiership, and when I signed, and then I managed to, obviously, moved to City and uh, it wasn't until the last six games that I managed to get an opportunity in the team. So my, my first uh, game for City and my Premiership debut uh, was at Bay Road against Arsenal and we ended up being 4-0 down after 20 minutes and I not had a save to make. I didn't even touch the ball. It was just, it was like, basically, I, I always say it was a baptism of fire for me because you're playing uh, uh, the Invincibles team of Arsenal who go for you up at will and it was like the movement off the ball and it was like watching the red arrows in front of you um, any, t- any other team during that time you know you, you, you could possibly say you know we do okay heads for Arsenal but one of those teams that you just feared because they had that many top players playing for them the, you just thought everyone in the team has to be on the metal for 90 minutes, otherwise you're just going to get penalised for it. Yeah, it was a different time back then, weren't they? Also, were a fantastic side in the early noughties, weren't they? I mean, were you playing yeah. against Henri and Vieira and was it was it Mark yeah, Overmars at that point? Overmars, Pira Hesburgham, all, all, all that era and it, you know, fantastic team, fantastic, they play fantastic football, great to watch, um, unless you're on the receiving end of... Uh, of the goals, which unfortunately I was at the time, and you know it was it, it was frustrating because I wanted to make a good impression at City. I wanted to do my best, have a, have a decent game, and, and to be fair, I couldn't do that because I didn't have a. It's so stupid. I was four 0 down, but I didn't have a shot to save. They just passed it round you and into the back of the net. And in that situation, you need everyone, like I say, to be on the metal to, to help you out. And unfortunately. Whether it be we weren't good enough at the time, but or whatever it is, Arsenal were, were one of those teams that they could actually do that and open up anyone, that, no matter who they were. So it was always going to be a, a, an uphill battle for us. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy one. I mean, but the thing is, when you were at Man City, I mean, there were some incredible players that signed for the club. I mean, there was Robbie Fowler was there at one point, weren't they? And yeah, Peter Schmeichel was there, I think. David Seaman. There was so I mean yeah, that yeah. must have been great to learn from learn from great goalkeepers like that and the, from the nineties like I mean what was Peter Schmeichel did he ever talk to him and try to get tips off him? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny with Peter because we, we obviously that the, uh, the, when it first went obviously we got relegated to the championship um, and then the following season um, I played a lot of games at City and it was towards the end of that season when we you know we we, we ran away with the league really. But I would I never forget we played Gillingham away and we we won the game but I had I, 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 I had like I got man of the match or something like that. And after the game, 
Steve Howie got on the coach and said the press want to wear with you. So I thought it must be because obviously I'd had a good game. So I got off the bus and I had about half a dozen microphones shoved in my face. So uh, what's your reaction to Peter Schmeichel signing? Obviously, had no clue that he'd signed or anything like that. I wasn't told anything by Kevin Keegan at the time. So, you know, what you say to that? You know that if the big band's going to play a club, he's going he's gonna to play unless he's injured. So, again, obviously, having played for City during that promotion battle, it felt like I was hindered again moving into the Premiership by not being able to play. Even though when Peter came in, I think I played 13 times the, the following season, including uh, the United Derby again. And obviously, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play week in, week out. Well, when you've got the likes of Peter Schmeichel and David Seaman there, you, you kind of bang in your head against the brick wall. What was Kevin Keegan like? Because there's always mixed reviews about him as a manager because he is famously known as the quitter, isn't he? But... What was he actually like? Was he was he a good manager? For me, I got on really well with Kevin on a social level. We just didn't see eye to eye on a playing level because I felt like no matter what I did, wouldn't be good enough for him. And I don't know if that was because of my background, where I'd come from, and the way I'd come into football. I wasn't an international player. I wasn't a superstar. It's plain to see that the the, the players that he worked with, he liked to get those types of players in. For obvious reasons, because they've been there and done it, but obviously that didn't help me out. So, we was, I mean, it was a, it was quite a hands-on manager. He liked to get involved in training uh, and join in and things like that, and uh, and that was a contrast to what I was what I was used to previous with Joe Royal. But it, yeah, it, I mean, in the end, it was a case of I wasn't actually getting the training that I thought I needed to improve as a goalkeeper at City, and, and that's that's why I left, uh, unfortunately, and. And went to Middlesbrough, where he would be getting coaching uh, and in a similar position. Well, who was who signed you to Middlesbrough? Was it Steve McLaren or Brian Robson? Steve McLaren, yeah. yeah. What what was he like, Steve McLaren? I mean, we had uh, Paul Barron as the goalkeeping coach, so we didn't have. It sounds sounds odd because he was the manager, but we didn't really have any dealing to him on a day to day basis, apart from day before before a game. So obviously. He, he would control the you know the, those sort of sessions and, and look at the opposition, do opposition analysis and things like that with us. But it was Steve Brown who did a lot of the training on a day, uh, you know a daily basis, and you know it was for me obviously he, I thought he was a good manager, and, 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 and at the time Middlesbrough were flying high. We uh, we won the Worthington Cup at the time, the League Cup. Uh, and ended up playing in Europe, and that was that was kind of my my first glimpse of Europe and playing in Europe was with Middlesbrough. Quite unexpected, really, because it was like little old Middlesbrough. But then all of a sudden, they were buying players like Hasselbank and Eggyog Southgate went there, and I think Mendieta was there when you were there as well, wasn't he? Fantastic, fantastic players we had there. Like you say, Jimmy was there, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank, Mendieta, Juninho, Bolo Zenden. Obviously, Gareth Southgate was the captain. He was fantastic. So we had some great players there. Mark Schwartz was the number one, and again, it was, you know, very difficult to replace someone out of the team that that's a, an Australian international and someone that, that that's a fantastic goalkeeper. And so, you know, rock solid. That unless you, unless again he get he got an injury, then uh, which was very rare. I never got a chance to show what I could do. Yeah, fellow Australian there, yeah. 
Great, it must have been a great time be there. I mean, I know it's, it must be always difficult being a backup, though, isn't it? You mustn't. You want to be a goalkeeper, and then you go and you end up being a number two. I mean, because if you yeah. look at it like the peak of your career, the peak of it was basically as a number two. I mean, you must have had great times, like you say, being a part of the League Cup team, playing in Europe. But it must yeah. have been good at the other side that you you might not have played in Europe if it wasn't for that move to Middlesbrough. As I say, I think uh, obviously make decisions throughout your career and you don't know whether they're the right decisions at the time or not and if there's one regret almost that I have in my career is that I didn't play enough games I wanted to uh, and, and, and what used to annoy me about fans and uh, people that don't really know is that you know they, they always say oh, he's just there to, to warm the bench he's not he's just happy to sit on the bench that was never the case with me I, I wanted to wherever I was I believed and I wanted to play regular football and I took it I took I was offended by people who said that because that was not the case at all. I wasn't happy just to sit on the bench. I wanted to play. When I didn't it, it was upsetting to me because I worked me nuts off as a player and I think as a number two and when you're not a first choice, um, you actually work harder than the number one does anyway. Uh, because you, you're trying that little bit harder to impress and to get in the team. Uh, because you know that you're not playing on a weekly basis, you do more in the gym, you do more fitness stuff, you work more uh, on the pitch, and it's, it's, it takes a certain mentality to keep doing that when there isn't a carrot at the end of the week for you. With, of course, when you were at Stockport, I think if they were still a decent team in like the league and stuff, you could probably talk about that a lot more, couldn't you really? About, but because they've disappeared off the face of the earth, punch in the face isn't it really but you played at an high level with Stockport like you said you nearly got to the Premier League and it was just unfortunate what happened And but like I say there's no, if people say that you're a bench warmer it's because they're probably jealous or don't know what they're on about really because I mean after yeah, that after, after Middlesbrough you obviously went on to become number one at Preston for two seasons yeah yeah again me wanting to play wherever I was and I knew like I said, I knew my, my chances would be few and far between with, with Mark Schwartz and Middlesbrough. So I had a chance to, to move to Preston and jumped at it really. Hooked up with Billy Davis, spoke with him, uh, loved obviously his philosophy and what he was all about. And uh, I moved to Preston and ended up playing playing in the playoff final. Again, unfortunately this time losing out to West Ham, which was, was heartbreaking really. You're becoming a bit of a lucky charm with promotion though and getting close to promotion though, aren't you? Have you noticed that? Palace up, Man City yeah. up, twice. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been very fortunate and I've, and I've had a degree of success throughout my career. Uh, you know, I've I was, I've been promoted to the to the premiership, obviously, Palace, City and Stoke. I've, I've been in cup finals, two FA cup finals in three years, one with Stoke, one with Everton. I've been in playoff finals and... Uh, and now, uh, again, going into coaching, last year we won the National League playoff final. So it, it, it's, it's not been all doom and gloom at all. But, you know, I, I always strive to, to be better and, uh, and want more success every, everywhere I go. So um, that, that, that's just me. Well, after Preston, then, after the successful time at Preston, you went on to Wigan, wanted to, on loan and then joined permanently. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a difficult difficult point in my career, I think I was at Preston, did really well, Billy Davis left and Paul Simpson came in as manager, obviously this was no to Paul but I just felt like the, the hierarchy at the club at the time, because we missed our promotion, kind of 
decided just to they were happy in, in, in the championship maybe and that, that was the impression that got as an experienced player that they weren't they didn't have the same mentality to let's go for it and let's try and get promoted and uh, it felt like the club had taken a backward step to me and, and, and I wanted to get promoted basically and you know obviously said being an experienced player I could see that happening I said maybe things I shouldn't in the, in the press when he came out to the Jags coming to the end of the contract I, I went in to see Paul and I said look if a premiership team for me what would the club want for me just as an idea and Paul said, ah. so uh, so I obviously spoke with my agent and he and he said that's fine, okay. Well, well if anyone's interested, we can we can talk about uh, January transfer window came. Fulham put a bid in for me for half a million, but turned it down straight away. So I went back in to see Paul and I just said, but uh, Fulham's come in and they've offered half a million. What what we discussed, the club turned it down and said, obviously. What's the reason behind that? And he said the, the chairman wants three million for you now. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. If you if you if that's what you value me at, I'm happy to stay at Preston and keep playing. I don't have a problem with that. But I'm coming to the end of my contract. If you think I'm valued at three million, offer me a new deal. And he and he said, well, we, the, the club can't afford to do that. And I said, well, it, it's it, where where do we go from there then? So listen. Obviously, you do things that you need to regret in your career and, and it was a difficult time and very emotional because I wanted to play and uh, when a premiership club comes in for you, it's a massive opportunity for you and, and when that didn't materialise and I ended up being obviously in limbo with Preston because they had signed another goalkeeper thinking that I was going to go, you know, things sort of get out of hand and, and it, at, at the time, you know, the, the club obviously and we're always going to come out better out of it than, than the player you know a lot of a lot of things got reported in the press that were untrue at the time and uh, and maybe obviously budded my character in a way uh, which was a, I was disappointed about but you know we, we move on and and in the end obviously I went on loan to Wigan first for a month and then at the end of the season signed permanently because I, I was out of contract yeah, well, Wigan were yeah we're in the Premier League at that point. Was it Paul Jewell who signed you? Yeah, yeah. yeah so signed with, signed with Paul and yeah was there, was there for uh, two seasons. Well, eventually the call came from Tony Pulis to come play for Stoke, and to be honest, the best part of your career was all about just to start really. I mean, because at the time Steve Simonson was like quite concrete as number one, and even as Stoke fans were quite shocked that another goalkeeper came in but you came in and did an absolutely fantastic job for Stoke especially at the time because we were kind of struggling a bit around Christmas where the points were drying up and how did it come about coming Stoke? Again it was a, it was a bit of a surprise because uh, previous to hearing about Stoke I've been out of action for 10 weeks I broke my leg playing head tennis after training just literally the, the week that I heard that Stoke were interested I'd just come back to training that week so I'd only had one full week of training obviously it was a bit of a surprise because I knew Steve and I knew the team were doing well and I knew what a good goalkeeper he was he was steady but nevertheless obviously I spoke with Tony and he, he just said I want, I want someone in that's going to keep Steve on his toes and you know and we need to bolster the squad because we want to get promoted and I came in for the last 10 games and I'll never forget the first game because Obviously, being coming from where I come from at Wigan, they, they, they kind of 
their philosophy, Steve Reese's philosophy at the time, was to uh, to play from the back. I threw a ball out to Griff on my debut, and he went under his foot and out for throwing. And I just remember Tony shouting on the pitch, "Fucking kick it!" <laughs> so, so from from that moment on, I never threw a ball out again. Really, he was always uh, kicking it up, up long up to Mama or whoever. So. Did you did you notice like how passionate the Stoke fans were compared to everywhere else you'd been? Did because you, you did take to the Stoke fans quite early on, didn't you? Did you notice the passion behind us at the time? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, so unbelievable passion for the club. Um, I can't highlight how what a massive part they played in getting us promoted. I mean, they were just unbelievable, and the the noise that you hear when. You know, when they, when they sing that, uh, sing Delilah, the hairs on the back of your neck just stand up. It's, it's amazing. So, throughout the, throughout the time at Stoke, we had some good times, but obviously they were made ever more memorable by the by the scores and the fans at Stoke because they were unbelievable. Yeah, we ought to breathe on the zone, aren't we? I mean, another question I've got been asked here from a fan is, did you ever have an outcake? Did it? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the, the club photographer, Phil, he used to, every Friday morning, uh, he used to go call at um, the oat cake shop and, uh, and bring them in for us. They always used to have a cheese, bacon, oat, cheese and bacon oat cake. So, yeah, all the time. <laughs> I bet you miss them now, don't you? <laughs> yeah, well, you can still get them in the, uh, the supermarket and make them yourself, but it's not the same. <laughs> no, they aren't the same. Them ones are horrible, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh You ended up obviously knocking Steve Simpson out as number one and it was an incredible run towards towards getting promotion. I mean, what are your memories of of that of that loan spell when you were at Stoke? What is there any like good stories and Well the, the, the thing that just sticks in my mind is the uh, obviously that which I've told you about when I when I first on me, threw the ball out on my debut away at Watford when I saved the penalty. And, and probably the, the last game against Leicester where I knew if I kept a clean sheet we were going to get promoted. They were the highlights really that, that, that stick in my head. But after the game as well, I'll never forget all the fans uh, uh, dressed up and stood on the dugout when we in the stand, like celebrating. And, uh, and falling through the dugout, it's, it kind of sticks in my head a little bit. That And, you know, the, like I said, going back to the fans were, were unbelievable. And, I'll tell you what, it was, it, was, it was difficult trying to get off the pitch fully clothed on that occasion, I tell you. <laughs> well, I can remember I ran past you when, when the final whistle went out because I, I, you could see me on the screen running full whack all the way along to the Leicester fans, putting my fingers up, and then, then I enjoyed it after. <laughs> it was a great yeah, time. Yeah, yeah no, it was a fantastic occasion and, uh, and again, one of those highlighted moments that I'll, that I'll never forget. One thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, Glenn Whelan, because you, you obviously knew Glenn Whelan from Man City as well when he was a young academy player. Did you see, when he was at Man City, what a talent he was? Yeah, well, most definitely he was, you know, this young Irish lad that, uh, you know, was a tough tackler and, you know, controlled, controlled his zone and his area and was good going forward and, you know, he... 
it, it, it was a young lad at the time, but he certainly saw the potential in him to, 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 to do well. Uh, and City had a lot of young talent at the time, which, which who, who moved on to, to various clubs and did well. So, so yeah, most definitely. Been a really good player for the club. You were a part of like Liam Lawrence and Ricardo Fuller. What was Ricardo Fuller like? Did you ever see a player with such one-off brilliance like Ricardo Fuller? I think he was a magical no. player. I mean that, that that was that was that was Ricardo all over. He, he could do anything. He was so talented, but also unpredictable because and and sometimes not think he knew what he was doing, but he things would come off for him, and he he was just. So prolific in that respect, and uh, and they're fantastic for the club. They're a great player. So you came to the end of the season. You did the bus tour. I mean, that must have been special as well. Game round Stoke. Yeah. I mean, why do you think we didn't win the title that season? Because for me, we should have won it that year. I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe I should have signed a bit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't know. Obviously, I only came in for the last game that, that year, but. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. We had a fantastic team, and, uh, and there was great, there was great sort of togetherness within the team. Uh, everyone wanted to do well. We, you know, we worked hard in training. We had great banter. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, that was well. That, that was the team, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure why it wasn't. We didn't win the title, but you know, it, we maybe we should have done. But. Um, yeah, I think the main thing was, uh, and the thing why the why the supporters supported us so well was, you know, getting promotion to the Premier League was 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 just the, the best thing we, that, that could happen that season, and, and we did that, and you know, obviously went on to solidify our place in Premier League. Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, to be honest, I was going to ask one quick because I still blame Jay Boffroyd, and I've got to be honest, there's there's not many people who like him in the game. What what was he like, Jay Boffroyd? Because he came on loan at the same time, didn't he? To be honest, I can't remember too much about it, but right, you know, he was a value member of the squad and yeah, worked, worked hard in training and that was it really. Yeah, from stories I've reported, I've heard that Jay Boffroyd here quite liked himself, a bit of a chocolado. <laughs> if he was chocolate, he'd eat himself. Yeah, yeah to be fair, there's a lot of players like that, especially uh, especially players that go on loan. But yeah, I think, I think you know, all that, all that we wanted is, is someone to, to work hard and train in and things like that. And, you know, I think if, if anyone was like that, Tony would bring him down to earth with the because he wasn't like that, Tony. And, um, you know, he, he certainly would have come to blows with him if that was the case. But, yeah, of course, Pulis was like that. I mean, what was it like off the pitch? How did you all get on? Was there any, like, good banter stories and stuff like that you can tell us? Not, not, that, not that I could divulge, no, but there was definitely good banter. I've heard Liam Lawrence was a bit of a party boy, like going out and stuff. Listen, the, the thing is, what, what Tony um, will say, uh, used to say to the players, look, you know, as long as it doesn't come back from the club, do, do what you want, and as long as you're working hard and you're... And you, and that's transferring onto the pitch, and you're doing well on the pitch. He doesn't have a problem. First and foremost, it's the, it's the club and, and your performances for the club that matter. So don't if it impacts on that, then don't do it. And that's that's pretty pretty good advice, really, because you're not going to stop everyone sort of going out or doing what that, but it's, it's doing it at the right times. 
it's all well and good having a night out, but as long as you're not doing George Best or Tony Adams where you're absolutely paralytic on the pitch, it's it, it's fine really, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, the game's moved on from, from all that, the, you know, the George Best era. When I first started, there was still a bit of a drink culture in the game, but as I've moved throughout my career, it became more apparent that everyone was wanting uh, small percentages and gradually, obviously, those those days have uh, been left behind us with by more professional athletes really yeah it's, it's been a massive change hasn't it since the back in the day I mean so yeah. it came to the end of the season you did your parade and why didn't you sign permanently at the end of that season when we got promoted to the Premier League was there an interest uh, in Tony uh, well uh, apparently there was obviously I spoke with Tony the first question was when the, when the re-signing <laughs> <laughs> so um, and even when I went back to, to Wigan uh, for the start of pre-season Steve Bruce said are you still here then so <laughs> he, even he thought I wouldn't be here so I don't know why the reasons it wasn't because I didn't want to or I wanted to resign for whatever reason it didn't materialise at the time and um, I started the season with Wigan I played a game in the League Cup and, and, and then two days later I think he was on transfer deadline day uh, signed for Everton I mean, that must have been a big deal, wasn't it, for your career? I mean, a big club like Everton come along. I think it was... I, I mean, it was, it, it, was, it was something that I didn't think twice about because I actually supported Everton as a kid and that's what really got me into football. My my first game at Goodison was the uh, 1981 Merseyside Derby um, and even though they lost that game quite considerably, it, it had me hooked. Um, and I grew up from that. From then on, I grew up watching Jim Arnold and Neville Southall when he came on the scene. So that's kind of what what propelled me to to sort of be a goalkeeper for life. And and obviously that gave me, you know, an opportunity to to, to play football and to, to have the career I've had. I mean, Neville Southall played for Stoke, and I wasn't impressed to be honest. But to be fair, he was quite heavy, and I'll be honest, he was he was right at the end of his career. He's the only player, yeah. he's the only goalkeeper I've ever seen go down on his knee and then jump for the ball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, Big Nev, obviously that was his name, Big Nev, and you know, for, he'd be fantastic for Everton. But you know, I think I think that that age thing comes to us all eventually, and uh, no one wants to admit that the you know that these the, the, the best days are behind them. But you know, I think the love of the game just makes you want to play as long as you can, and uh, and that's. That's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, I, I, I played to a sporty. I believe I could have played a lot longer, but didn't through through personal reasons. And, uh, you know, I, I, the, the day I stopped playing football was heartbreaking because I just wanted to keep playing as long as I could. Well, yeah, it's a good age. I mean, goalkeepers do last a lot longer normally than outfield players don't they because it's it's just a natural yeah. way as long as you keep your sharpness you've, you've got a good career yeah. but then not, yeah. not I think two years after your time at Everton uh, Tony Pulis got on the phone again and wanted to bring you back yeah that must uh, that must have been like an instant yeah go on I'll, I'll go back yeah well it, it was it was really uh, at the time when we spoke I was in Sydney with Everton so I ended up catching the plane back on my own so uh, yeah we 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 I'm sorry I started pre-season with Everton. David Moyes was kind enough to to let me start the season, start pre-season with him and train with, with the team. I knew that I didn't have a contract in place there, but at least I was training. And 
in the end ended up going on the pre-season trip to, uh, to Australia with them. Uh, touchdown in Sydney, half mammoth flight, and I was there for probably, I don't know, at the most two days, uh, and got a call off Tony saying that, get your ass back, we want to sign you. <laughs> What was, so, his, uh, was that what was it like? Was he very, very, was he very stern man, Tony Pulis? Was he a, a nice bloke? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, me and Tony, you know, get on really well. If if you if you do right by him, he'll do right by you, and that's that's all he ever asks is that you you train hard and do the right things. If you do that and you you you, you you're good with him and uh, and do all the right things, then he'll be good to you. He's just an honest man in that respect and. As I say, fantastic manager. He's it, it, a Stoke legend, isn't he? Because yeah, you know, yeah. he, he, he's done so well for Stoke. Uh, and I think, obviously, throughout his career, he's had numerous clubs in his career. I think he, uh, his time at Stoke, he, he, he'll probably look back on and remember his performance, if I'm honest. Yeah, he's, he's a legend at Stoke. He's the best I've seen in my lifetime, anyway. Because yeah. I wasn't yeah. around for Tony Warrington and the great manager. I mean, when he brought you back, did he explain to you the reason that you were going to be third choice? Did he make it clear that he was bringing you back? Yeah, and, and again at the time, you know, obviously in the Premiership, you, you need a, a squad of goalkeepers because anything can happen. Someone can go on the road, someone gets injured, you've got cup games, uh, you've got so many games to play. So, again, it wasn't a question of me coming back uh, knowing I was third choice, I always believed again that I could play. So I worked my nuts off to to make sure that if if I was called upon, I was ready to play. So so, so that was just me. Look, Stoke's a fantastic club. I've I've got great respect and, and a great relationship with the fans, and always have done and always will do because there's been time there. So when obviously Tony wanted me to go there, I you know I jumped to the chance again, and 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 it's it's the it's, it's a club where I spent the most in my career. I've spent like three years and ten games there. So, you know, it's a uh, it, club that I hold close to my heart and have fond memories. Well, I mean, you've got into goalkeeping coaches now and you've got a record of getting teams promoted when you go there. Are you attempting to come back, Stoke, as goalkeeping coach? Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't write it off. I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Obviously, you, you just never know in, in football. One minute you could be in a job and next minute the manager uh, leaves and, uh, and you're not. So, you never write anything off. And, um, you know, for me, I just want to be a successful coach now uh, um, after being a player. Um, and and be a top level coach and, and get as much success as I can. That's where I want to be. I want to be coaching top level. And you know, if, if Stoke need a goalkeeping coach one day, and that's an option, then obviously it'd be something that I've been that I've been pleased to take on. We'd be glad of you, especially with your record of getting teams promoted. You'd you'd be here too many, so we're up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be, it'd be nice to think so. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be very nice to think so. Just uh, just one thing that I need say about the time of Stoke that sticks in my head is was, was a European night in uh, the Sistus and because of uh, injuries and things like that I, I was actually on the bench as an outfield player that night and, uh, and I'll never forget that because I remember obviously there was injury on the pitch and I was about to go on but luckily it, it was fine <laughs> luckily for Stoke it was fine because I don't think he fancied me playing up front so uh, but it was it was a funny night because what happened was on our route into Turkey, our plane had got diverted to the wrong airport. Yeah. Um, 
And from what we got told, it was the, the guy at air traffic control who diverted us was a persistent fan and he just wanted to complicate our journey. So <laughs> uh, I put something on Twitter like sort of uh, dirty Turkish tactics. And I got about 500 tweets saying like, Welcome to hell, death threats, and all this. So I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I just, I just say, like, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it was such a, a hostile atmosphere there, and you know, it was, it was one of those European nights that I'll never forget with Stoke, and you know, the support we had there going there was, was invaluable, and uh, uh, got us through days that you didn't think we, we, we could get through, and uh, and that's testament to to the fans out there. It was a great time here in Europe, and the, the sad thing is, that I always thought that I thought we would be going again. So, so I didn't go Valencia away, and then to see how the clubs ended up going, it's it's a bit of a really wounding that I didn't go because I might not get the chance again, especially with how it is nowadays, where you have to spend five hundred million to get in the top six. It, it is a shame. It was a great time. I mean, one thing I wanted to touch on was the FA Cup run because you were a part of that as well at Stoke when we managed to get to the FA Cup final. I mean, what were your thoughts yeah. on the on that, especially the semi-final? Oh, an incredible day! Yeah, no, it's, look, uh, any anyone who tells you anything other than getting to an FA Cup final is it, it doesn't matter. It does. It's um, it's a fantastic competition. It's it's so historical, and for me, it was it ever more special because I've, I've been there three years previous with Everton, and to get to the, the, the final again with with Stoke was was, was special. You know, is I, I can't honestly remember the games we played going up to the final, apart from obviously the semi. But I just remember every game that even though I was on the bench, Tony wanted me to go on and, and kind of give the players, get the players together, and give them a bit of a pep talk before each game, <laughs> uh, which was a little bit embarrassing because I'm coming off the bench and doing that, and then coming back on the bench. <laughs> so, but. but Oh, it obviously worked. But whatever I said obviously worked, and you know, um, yeah, fantastic times uh, and, and great elation for, for doing that. It was just, you know, fortunate we came up against City in the final, who were, who were, you know, such a fantastic team. I know, uh, it goes down to that, that miss from Kenwin Jones for me, don't you? I mean, it was devastating when he missed that one on one. Yeah, yeah, nice. No, well, boys. Goals change games. That's the old cliche, and, uh, and who knows um, what would have happened if it, if it had scored. Then we, we just don't know. Yeah, it was it was a shame. Really wanted. Do you still do you still yeah. look, do you still st- look at Stoke's results? Do you still follow Stoke? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Obviously, I speak with some of the players as well, relatively regularly. Um, I speak with Rory probably the most. Obviously, he's at Stoke with the. You know the under 23 so yeah try and keep in contact with as, as many people as I can well if you if you still got the numbers tell them come on the podcast if you can please mate that'll be good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no that's that's fine it's say you know try and keep in contact with them you know you get to I like I said Danny Cooley's down the road from me and I've seen Danny obviously through playing he's a pot there on was a the other side of the and stole the, the, the rivalry, but he's there as a coach, so I've seen him quite recently because we're in the same league and things like that, so we, we have regular catch-ups. Yeah, it's uh, it's good, it's good, it's good to uh, to, to see old faces and, uh, and reminisce about fantastic times. Yeah, it is, yeah, it's always good. I mean, what do you think of Michael O'Neill? Do you think the future's going to start turning back to good again now since Michael O'Neill's appointment? Hopefully, 
yeah, I mean, he's, he's a fantastic manager. I know Michael relatively well because I, I had a spell working with Northern Ireland on the 21s and, you know, went and uh, joined up with the, the, the full, full national side at training camps and things like that on occasion. So I think he'll do well. You know, he, he just seems to be sort of settling into the role and we're into this period of lockdown. So hope that won't have too much impact and then uh, Stoke can move on and hopefully get up where they belong to be in the Premiership. Which players impress you this season? I don't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't actually. Couldn't actually say. I've not. I've not actually watched that many games. I've just seen the results, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to, to comment on that <laughs> as to as to who's impressed me. But obviously, it's difficult when I'm working in football to, to, to watch the games and things like that. And I don't see a lot of uh, football at home because I've got a young family to, to take care of. And yeah, as I say, it's, it's something that I, I wouldn't be able to, to say really. Yeah, well, this has been a fantastic interview. So, just before you go, though, I want to say, what does the future hold for Carlo Nath? In an ideal world, you know, um, being successful and, uh, and working my way up to, to coaching top level. Obviously, at the moment, I'm involved in a fantastic project at Salford City. Um, I know the club is ambitious and uh, want to move through the league. So, you never know. You never know. In a, in a couple of years' time, we could be uh, could be meeting up with Stoke, Stoke playing Salford. So, whatever whatever way it would be, my idea would be playing top. Uh, sorry, uh, coaching top level, you know, football and, and making a successful career for myself within the coaching role now. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. You never know. You might eventually be a Stoke goalkeeping coach. You could. It might be your arch. Yeah. You might be up there. Yeah, keep lobbying for it. Keep lobbying for it. <laughs> I'll have a word with Michael O'Neill. <laughs> yeah, alright. <laughs> so, all right, uh, thank, uh, cheers for that, mate. Uh, make sure you stay safe, your family stays safe, and thanks for going through memory lane with us. Yeah, no problem, anytime. Thanks very much. Right, cheers, mate. Bye, take care, and cheers, mate. Bye. Carlo Nash there. So, if you want to get involved and you want to join in, make sure you find us on any podcast platform now. We're on everything. We're on it. We've got a a Facebook group called The Potters, which you can find on Facebook. It's The Potters Podcast on Instagram, The Potters Podcasts on Twitter, and of course, we're on Facebook as well, if you just look, type in The Potters Podcast. If you want to get involved and you want to become, become part of the fan interviews, you're always welcome. Just contact us on one of them platforms. We're more than welcome at the moment. We've got the reviews coming up soon from from famous fans and people who've been around the club. Thank you for listening. Ta-ra.